Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Extraordinary, the next message in the Called series by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you that you speak and you work through flawed vessels. And so I'd ask that you do that this morning. Help me, Lord, I pray that as your word goes forward, it would go forward and reach our hearts, be planted in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here and we thank you for the power that rests in God's word, transformational power, and we pray and believe that this day. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're making your way, or uh, Ezekiel uh, is located after Jeremiah and Lamentations, make your way to the book of Ezekiel. A little bit of context about Ezekiel in a moment, but how many people here enjoy coffee? Uh, okay, there's the safe people. We just saw all the hands that went up. Uh, there's all the safe people in the room. But interestingly enough, we drink coffee, uh, but every time we take a cup of coffee, we probably are not so much aware of the process that brings us that cup of coffee. You see, uh, before we drink our cup of coffee, we uh, the bean has to be harvested. It has to be roasted. It has to go through a process of being ground and, and prepared. And, and then it's applied uh, enormous 16 bars of pressure or something is applied to that uh, coffee to bring us our drink of coffee. Sometimes people like to percolate their coffee, depends on, on how you like to have it. And for, the, for, the, for those that are wondering, chai latte is heresy. <laughs> However, there's a process that's involved for us to drink our coffee. And there's a process that's involved for all of us in our own spiritual lives. And for much of us, there might be times in our lives when we feel like that coffee bean. There might be times in our lives when, when we feel like God's placed us in the roasting oven. There might be times in our lives when, when God, it feels like God's placed us in the grinder. And there might be times in our lives when we feel like God is applying pressure to us. And it's all for the blessing of others. It's, it's kind of like in the pressing comes the wine. And if, if Jacob was here today, for those that have been following us through our call series, if Jacob was here today, he'd certainly be able to tell us what the grinder looks like. There was a moment in his life where God ground him down. If Jonah was here today, for those that were here last week, Jonah's one of my more favourite ones, but if Jonah was here, he, he'd understand what the pressure part looks like. But maybe we find ourselves in those places. And today, we're going to have a look at the life of a man briefly, which if you could encapsulate his life in one word, it would be extraordinary. Most of us may be aware of the ministry of Jeremiah and what what an amazing ministry he had. Or maybe Isaiah, one of the other major prophets, but very rarely do we focus on the life and ministry of Ezekiel, but his ministry and what he saw was extraordinary. If you read the first chapters, we won't go through the vision that Ezekiel had, uh, but if you go through the first chapters of Ezekiel and you read what he saw and then you read the book of Revelation, you will find there's enormous similarities in what he saw and what John saw when God said, come up here. But as we come to the book of Ezekiel, who is Ezekiel? That's a good question. And what is it that makes him so extraordinary and what lessons might we learn? Uh, By the time we finish, Ezekiel has a huge challenge and a huge 
question for us all. question sounds like this. How do we define success today? It's interesting. In regards to ministry, in regards to the Christian life, in regards to church life, how do we define and determine success? Ezekiel's answer may challenge us deeply. If you've made your way to the book of Ezekiel, uh, we see that uh, by the time we meet Ezekiel, he's 30 years of age. That's enormously important. Uh, a couple of fun facts about Ezekiel. Ezekiel is alive at the time that Josiah is the king of Israel. He's, he's born possibly maybe just before Isaiah or around about the time, sorry, Josiah is king. Now, Josiah was one of Israel's more godly kings, brings in sweeping reforms uh, to Israel after he's convicted from reading the law. And Ezekiel grows up in this time. And then, of course, as time goes on, uh, Israel is plunged into darkness with evil kings. Well, what we know about Ezekiel is that he's probably married around the age of 23. He will find himself in exile around the age of 26. His wife dies the age of 37, and they are prominent moments in his life. But nothing more prominent than uh, the whole reason that we meet him. You see, it says here that in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, Ezekiel's birthday. See, Ezekiel is the son of Buzi, and Buzi was a priest, which means that Ezekiel's a priest. And today we might go, well, okay, good for him. But in these times, uh, to be a priest was something to be aspired to. Times have changed, but to, to be a priest was something to be aspired to, and, and he would have grown up his whole life uh, performing menial tasks in the temple. Uh, he would have been uh, officiating in worship. He would have had a profound knowledge of the Mosaic Covenant and the, uh, the operations of the temple, all really important for the ministry that God has. But for all of his life, he's been looking forward to his 30th birthday. Because on his 30th birthday, he would have been ordained as a priest and he would have entered into the, the officiations of a priest. He's been waiting all his life for this moment. He's had his whole life mapped out. He's, he, his whole life has been, God, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm here for. But God has different ideas. And that's really important because I believe there's Ezekiel sitting in this room today. I believe there's people that have said, you know what, this is, I, I, I believe that I'm called to do this and, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to go to Bible college or I'm going to study this or I'm going to do that. Whatever it may look like, all of our lives, we've had our life mapped out, where we're going and what we're doing. And maybe you find yourself like Ezekiel, a little bit frustrated and a little bit disappointed. Ezekiel, if he was using language that we would use today, he would say, Lord, what on earth are you doing? This is not what I signed up for. I'm not sure if anybody else has ever found them in that position, but often that's where God brings a lot of us. So on his 30th birthday, when he should have been becoming the priest, huge ceremony in the temple, everybody celebrating, he finds himself in Babylon. He finds himself hundreds of miles away from the temple, from Jerusalem, from Judah. Uh, what brings him to Babylon? 
What we know is that after Josiah and the evil kings that were in charge of Israel, what we know is this. We know that Nebuchadnezzar, a really interesting story for another time when we have a look at the life of Daniel, but Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, very prideful king. And if Nebuchadnezzar was here today, he would say, deal with your pride before you find yourself eating grass like an ox for seven years. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar would say, but that's a a story for another day. But he had, on numerous occasions, besieged Israel, had besieged Jerusalem, and they had kind of got into a false sense of security. They had thought to themselves, you know what, God would never let Jerusalem be destroyed. God would never let the temple be destroyed. And we might play up and we might do things wrong, but God will always forgive us. Sounds, I've heard those words in recent years. God will always forgive us. It doesn't matter. But turns out that there was a day. And the methods that they would use is they would come and take power over another country or another nation, and they would take the elite people back and indoctrinate them. And so you would often, and we'll learn more about this when we look at Daniel, but they would often change your name, which was, we want to change your identity. You would be demanded to worship their gods, to adopt their culture, and they would then indoctrinate you, take the best, so that therefore you couldn't raise a rebellion or come against them later on. And Daniel is taken in the first wave of exiles. Ezekiel is taken in the second wave, 10 years afterwards. And by the time Ezekiel finds himself in Babylon, uh, Jeremiah's been prophesying for around 35 years. Jeremiah's still alive. Jeremiah's still prophesying. Daniel's been prophesying in Babylon for about nine years by the time Ezekiel gets there. The destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple has not yet happened, which is all about the ministry of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel finds himself in extraordinary circumstances. He finds himself in Babylon. He finds himself, let's read it, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles. I was among the exiles by the Shabar Canal. It's probably better pronounced Kibar Canal. And the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. We'll get back to those last parts of that in a moment. But he finds himself by the Kibar Canal. What are you doing there, Ezekiel? Uh, before anybody gets the straw skirts out and starts doing the hula, can anybody remember the song by Boney M by the rivers of Babylon and everybody's like I am thank you pastor I'm not going to get that song out of my mind for the rest of the week but uh, before I break out into song and sing it for you let's move on very quickly Uh, that is actually an exile song and what that means is, is very profound and spiritual what they had determined was we may be in Babylon We may be hundreds of miles away from the temple. We may be nowhere near the priesthood, but we're going to worship and remember God. And so they would would meet near the most closest piece of water to talk about the covenant, to uphold faith in the one true God, and they would sing. And Ezekiel finds himself among the exiles in extraordinary circumstances. in a place where they may have even tried to change his name. There's no hope. Young Ezekiel, there's no hope that that he'll actually go back because 
Daniel and Ezekiel have read the prophecies of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, get comfortable. Buy some land. You're going to be there for 70 years. Which is really important, by the way, because by the time Ezekiel starts his ministry, uh, both in Jerusalem and in Babylon, there's false prophets everywhere declaring, no, 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 God's going to rescue us, God's going to bring us back. Telling everybody what they wanted to hear. It's interesting how, doesn't matter where you walk through the Bible or where you walk through history, isn't it interesting how the human heart and many things don't change. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. But what Ezekiel will teach us is that extraordinary circumstances call for extraordinary people. And Ezekiel will teach us Because when we say extraordinary people, that's everybody in this room. You see, to be exiled means to be out of your homeland. It means to be a sojourner. It means to be a foreigner. It means to be an alien. And I know many people are saying, hey, pastor, you really look like an alien. But hold that for a moment. Uh, What 1 Peter says, this is profound. Uh, Peter the apostle writing his first epistle, he says to the elect exiles, and what he's saying to the Christians in that first century is if you are a Christian, you're an exile. This is not home. And Just the same call on the life of Ezekiel and the life of Daniel and the life of all of those that went into exile is the same call in our lives is whether we find ourselves in Babylon or not, that we will worship God, we will stand for the truth of the one true God. And God has called us to be extraordinary. And by that I don't mean we're going to wear a cape and fly through the air or hold up a building with one arm. By that I mean you are extra-ordinary. There is something different. How how did that look for Ezekiel? How, How did Ezekiel come to that place? And we see it right, right here, don't we? We, I was among the exiles in the Jabbar Canal and Wherever you find yourself on your journey, maybe you're in the roaster today, maybe you're being ground, maybe God's applying prayer, maybe you're being uh, in a place where you're being a blessing to others because we know God created water to filter coffee, to be a blessing to everybody else. Wherever you find yourself, uh, the call of God on each of our lives is to worship God right where we are, to be available You see, the history of Israel is that there was really only a handful of people that decided we're going to worship God. There was only a handful amongst, there was a very small percentage that said, you know what, whether we're in Babylon or not, we're going to worship God. We're going to come together. We're going to sing songs. And this is where the Pharisees were born. They were born at a good heritage and in a good place. They drifted to a bad place, but, but they were there to uphold the faith of God. They were available. Many others said, you know what, we're just going to go with the flow. Many others said, you know what, we're, we're just going to, we're here, we can't do anything about it. Well, yeah, okay, we kind of believe in God. But there came a point in time when you couldn't tell the difference between an Israelite and a Babylonian.
Could they tell the difference today between us and the world? For those that read the book of Revelation and other prophetic literature, when it speaks of Babylon, it's not speaking about the landmass. It's speaking about an evil, worldly, secular, prideful culture. And Ezekiel says, against that background, here's what Ezekiel says, Lord, here I am and I'm available. I had my life mapped out. I was going to be a priest. Oh, yeah, okay, things haven't worked out. And he's not the first priest to be called as a prophet, by the way. Jeremiah was another one. Jeremiah prophesies to the king. Most conservative estimates, he's 16. More accurately, he's 12 or 13 when he walks in and prophesies to the king and calls him to repent. You want to know God's spoken to you if you're 12 years of age and you're talking to the king, but he makes himself available. God, it doesn't matter where I am, you will find me here and you will find me available. I love the next part. Uh, Ezekiel goes on and says, uh, by the Chabarka now, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And if you read the rest of chapter 1 when you get home, man, oh man, did he see a vision of God. Jeremiah didn't see what Ezekiel saw. Isaiah, mm, he had a a pretty close resemblance. Uh, Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Next thing is, I, I, I saw the Lord. has a massive revelation. I mean, the train of his robe filled the temple. Here I am, Lord, send me. And then, he, and then the Lord says to Isaiah, I'm going to send you to a stiff-necked people. They're not going to hear. And then, and then Isaiah says, uh, ooh, hang on, how long? <laughs> Get the, read the fine print first. Uh, but Ezekiel highlights something that's really important here. Uh, seeing comes before doing. You see, we all get busy for God and we neglect the place where we build a relationship with God. We put, we put the fruit before a strong root, as A.W. Tozer would put it. A.W. Tozer writes a whole book called The Root of the Righteous. And it's all about the secret man that nobody else sees or the secret woman that nobody else sees. Uh, that, that person in the prayer closet on their knees weeping in prayer before God. Uh, that's the person. And so there is a seeing before there is the doing. There is a, a revelation. God's process is the same. Uh, Jesus spends three years uh, revealing himself and unveiling himself to the disciples, uh, culminating with the Mount of Transfiguration for three of them, then it's, here's the doing. First comes the seeing, then comes the doing. If you're here today and you say, okay, I want to be extraordinary. I want to be that person who doesn't just go with the flow. I want to be that person that God uses powerfully to impact those around me. How can I begin to be that person? Uh, Number one, seeing becomes before doing. Put yourself in a place where you are in a relationship and knowing more about God and developing that relationship. Here's what A.W. Tozer says. For those that have read his book, uh, A Knowledge of the Holy, uh, there's a certain, there's about a handful of books that Tozer's written by his own hand. Uh, I try to read them about three times a year each, uh, and every time I read them, something else comes out of them. 
And recently I was reading his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which is all about uh, uh, the attributes of God and how we see God. And he says that, uh, that, that our perception of God has become so lowly and ignoble amongst the church that it's robbing us. That will vanish in a blink of an eye for Ezekiel. Imagine, read this and imagine seeing what Ezekiel says. Uh, as you read through uh, the book of Ezekiel, you'll also notice that he's prophesying, when you read his prophecies, sometimes he's in Babylon and then in the blink of an eye, he's prophesying in Jerusalem. You think, hang on a second, how did you get from there to there so quickly? Powerful, extraordinary guy. Uh, anybody ever read the book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God? If you haven't read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, you need to read that book. But, but he would, uh, J.I. Packer would highlight, uh, and Ezekiel would say the same thing. If Ezekiel was here today, he'd have the same message and the same challenge for us that J.I. Packer has. And J.I. Packer has, says that ignorance of God and his ways, in particular in private communion with him, is the base of a thousand ills amongst the church. What J.O. Packer was saying is we look around the church and, and so many people from the outside looking in, would, so often they perceive weakness when, in fact, J.O. Packer would say, you know what, if we all determined just to lock ourselves into private communion with him and to know him and to know his ways. Step number one, seeing precedes doing, knowing precedes action. If you're here today, what do I do next, God? We can all do this. What do I do next? Find that place where you are in communion with God. Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, uh, on the, I saw visions of God, verse 2, on the, on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Shabbat Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Uh, I've, I've read the book of Ezekiel many times, and I always find encouragement when I come to this point. When I read the vision of Ezekiel, uh, I find enormous encouragement. Here's a priest who knows exactly where the glory of the Lord should be. Here's a priest who knows the glory of the Lord belongs in the temple where the ark is covering the mercy seat, right? But why I take such great encouragement is Ezekiel is in Babylon and he sees the glory of God. Ezekiel sees, uh, and, and at the end of his vision, he says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord that when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Often I've heard people speak about, uh, I've heard other ministers say, you know, I went to heaven and they make it sound like they went down to the milk bar to get a loaf of bread in the newspaper. Can I tell you, everybody that saw the glory of the Lord in here, they were prostrate. 
whether it's Jeremiah, whether it's Ezekiel, Isaiah would say, I'm a man of unclean lips. And an angel takes a coal from the altar and touches his lips. He realises in that moment something very powerful. Uh, John fell down like a dead man. Uh, The man that had walked with Christ for three years heard a voice behind him and when he turned to see the voice, he fell down like a dead man. This isn't going down to the milk bar to get a loaf of bread in the newspaper. This is something that completely undoes you. Uh, Peter was in the boat with all the other disciples and they haul in all these fish, which is which is kind of like going fishing with me. They're hauling in all of these fish and Peter's the only one that gets it. They're all in the boat, but it's only Peter that turns around to Jesus and says, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Uh, That's how to know when you're in the presence of God. That's how to know when the presence of God and his glory and the weight of his presence comes down. Here's how to know when you're in that position. Your sin rises to the surface. Your humanity rises to the surface. And that's what happens for Ezekiel. And Ezekiel does what everybody else in the Bible does. And Ezekiel does what every one of us will do when we're confronted with that position. We raise the white flag and say, oh, creator of the universe, I surrender to you. Here's what it looked like for Ezekiel, chapter 2, verse 1. And he said to me, son of man. Uh, Now, We think son of man, we think the reference to Jesus, we think the glorious reference that comes from Daniel's vision, but that's not what Ezekiel, that's not the reference here in Ezekiel. This is a reference that is used 93 times and it's always directed at Ezekiel and it's always a reference to his humanity. You see, if if Jacob was here, he would say there was a time in my life when I came confronted with my own humanity. I tried to wrestle with God, but he was only playing with me. If Jonah was here, he'd say, let me tell you a story about a whale in three days. And Ezekiel's here and says, you know what? What I've seen is so profound. I am so confronted with my reality, the reality of my own humanity. Something powerful happens here in the life of Ezekiel that God desires to do in our own hearts. And I tell you, many of us won't go forward until God gets the white flag in this area. I remember reading, for those that have read the biographies of Smith Wigglesworth, let me try to help you to understand what happens next. Smith Wigglesworth was a man that was born again at a very young age. Uh, Worked 12-hour shifts from the age of eight years of age, worked 12-hour shifts in a local potato factory. Uh, For that reason, he was never educated, he couldn't read. Smith Wigglesworth learnt to read on the Bible taught by his wife, Polly. And Smith Wigglesworth was a humble little plumber from Yorkshire. And uh, and a highly sought-after plumber from Yorkshire. Uh, Ended up giving it away, of course, in the later days. But here is a guy that just worked behind the scenes. Uh, Polly often took the front. Uh, she often did the speaking. Uh, he would preach every now and again to try to fill the gaps. He said, you know what? I prefer to do the kids' ministry. Uh, he was just out the back, and, and but he, he was hungry for more of God. He was hungry for more of God. And over a period of time, he became more and more confronted with his humanity. He had a violent temper that God, he says in his testimony, that God burnt it up in a night. He had a violent temper. He used to argue with Polly. Polly used to laugh at him. Uh, Now, ladies, can I help you? 
Uh, if you ever find yourself in a heated argument with your husband, laughing at him doesn't help. Moving right along. <laughs> if Polly was here today, she'd say, stop giggling. <laughs> but, uh, but Wigglesworth was hungry for more of God. And he hears about uh, people who are experiencing what we would call baptism in the Holy Spirit or being infilled with the Holy Spirit. So he gets on a train and he, he goes up to a place in uh, northern England and he comes back. He experiences something very powerful there. He comes back and it was his turn to do the preaching. And he stands up, same Smith, same long trench coat, same stroking of the moustache. Polly stood up halfway through the sermon and said, that's not my Smith. Something was different. Same Smith, same mouth, same words, different power. Let's read what happened to Ezekiel here. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. He can't stand. So powerful is this moment and this call on Ezekiel's life that if you fast forward to chapter 15, uh, verse 15 uh, of chapter 3, you'll see he's so overwhelmed that he just sits down for seven days. What a sabbatical, right? I'm just going to soak in the presence of God for seven days. Uh, But here's what he says, and I love this. Verse 2, I've got verse 2 plastered everywhere. It just keeps reminding me of this. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me. Here's a man on his face, completely confronted with his humanity. And as God spoke to him, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. I couldn't stand before. I was prostrated before. I was completely undone. Here's what Smith Wigglesworth would say. Before I reach this point, God has broken me a thousand times. He's undone me a thousand times. Ezekiel, we read this occurrence once. God brings me here sometimes on a weekly basis. Completely confronted with my own humanity. Uh, For anybody that's... Has anybody watched that Jesus Revolution movie? Yeah, good movie, right? Uh, for those that say, yeah, I survived the 70s, I remember everything that happened. But, uh, but something transformational happened in that place, but the story unfolds of those who know Lonnie Frisbee and, and, and the pastor Chuck, but they all said God does wonderful things through flawed people. It's still... It's still one of America's greatest spiritual awakenings of recent times, what happened in, the, in 1971, 1972. God works through flawed people. That's the story of Jacob. That's the story of Joseph. That's the story of Jonah. That's the story of Ezekiel. That's my story. That's your story. Good news this morning, God even works for people from Aladala. <laughs> must, be, must be true. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me. Can you please do one thing for Ezekiel today? Find a place where God speaks into you. Where God speaks. When we read Genesis chapter 1, it says God spoke and it happened. You see, if I'm sitting in my lounge room and, and I say, let there be light, I still have to get up and go over and turn over the switch. God doesn't do that. 
His word and his power are both the same thing. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. And now comes the call of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's got a huge lesson that he wants to teach each one of us. And, and if he was here for those that say, well, you know what, I, I, here I am, Lord, I want you to use me. Careful saying those words, by the way. But, but verse 3 says that he said to me, son of man, I send you. Um, there's a big difference between being sent and going. It is the sending that will keep you, if you're writing down notes this morning, you have to write this one down, it is the sending that will keep you through the suffering. Or as the Apostle Paul would say, the Apostle Paul would say that before the foundation of the world, God had set him apart to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. But part of that, he knew there came a point in his life when he knew God had called him to proclaim and to witness in Rome. He was a Roman citizen. Uh, he knew that God had called him to go to Rome. And so uh, he tells everybody in Jerusalem, hey, I'm going to Rome. They know that means he's not coming back, by the way. They even pray and tell him, no, 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 this can't be of God. Uh, then, between then and Rome, uh, he's stoned, which means something a little bit different than it did in the 70s. He, he, he's been stoned, he's beaten, he's shipwrecked two or three times, he's bitten by a snake. But when you know God sent you, you'll shake the snake off into the fire. When you know God sent you, you'll stand up on the boat that's about to be shipwrecked and say, uh, all will be saved, but the boat will be lost. When you know God sent you, you will joyously rejoice in the prison after they flogged you and imprisoned you because you know God has called you and sent you. You can't do that if you go under your own power and under your own steam. You can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you that if you want to be extraordinary, uh, that means you're going to stand out. That means you're going to be swimming against the current. That means there's a world around us that wants to pull you down. There's a world around us and there is an enemy that wants to see your destruction. You're welcome this morning. I am sending you. I, I remember... And anybody listening to this from Tasmania won't know who I'm talking about, so it's okay. But a good friend of mine in the early, when I was a young Christian, he came to me and he was, you know, he was in his 40s, been in church life for a long time and came to me and said, you know what, I, I, I really believe I should stop work and go to Bible college. And if there was an Ezekiel that I've ever met, it was this guy. It, it was just a guy that had grown frustrated. He, he had his own ideas about, about what his calling and ministry and everything looked like. And, and he had mapped out in his mind uh, what that was going to be looking like. And God's timing wasn't matching up with his timing. Turns out God's calling wasn't matching up with his own calling. Uh, and so he says, I'm going to go to Bible college. And so he does, and for 12 months he studies and, and he passed everything he needed to pass. He gets to the end of that, and in his language and in his posture, everything said, well, here I am, God, I've done everything now. What now? And the result of that was somebody who grew increasingly frustrated and increasingly disappointed with God because they had decided 
I'm going to go without God sending them. There is no going without God sending. But listen to the call. How many people? Are, how many people are signing up for Ezekiel's ministry? Uh, remember that question I asked at the start. How do we define ministry today? How do we define success in our own Christian life? How do we define success on a ministry scale? Uh, can I just tell you today in the Western world that until your church is in the thousands, you often don't get invited to speak at conferences. Can I can I tell you that if you do go to a conference, often the first question you get asked is how many people are in your church. That's why we're going to start inviting pets, so we can count the heads of the pets. But but it's interesting what we determine. Our questions determine what's important to us, right? Well, if Isaiah was ministering today, if Jeremiah was ministering today, if Ezekiel was ministering today, we would look, possibly, many people would look through a lens and say, these guys are a failure. Let's have a listen to Ezekiel's call. I'm going to send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. Sounds okay at the moment, right? And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them or be not afraid of their words. Here's what God's saying. Listen, I'm telling you to go and speak to Israel so that they know when you've been, a prophet has spoken. I'm sending you to Israel to say, thus says the Lord, so that they know that I warned them before they get taken captive. But, but here's the real good clincher. No one's going to listen to you, Ezekiel. Here's what, here's what God missed out in the fine print. Uh, Ezekiel, I'm going to need you to lay on one side for weeks on an end just to kind of get the message to my people. Uh, then I'm going to need you to turn over to the other side uh, just to get the message to my people. Here's the fine print that God left out. I'm going to need you to cook your food over dung as part of a representation of the word that I have for them. Uh, here's the big one, though. Uh, when your wife dies at age 37, Ezekiel, you are not to mourn for her or remember her as a message to Israel who didn't mourn when I left them. And so what Ezekiel would tell us today is that success equals doing what God has called you to do and let God take care of the rest. Ezekiel, I want you to tell my people the truth even though many other prophets are going to tell them the exact opposite. There's going to be prophets that are going to come up and they're going to tell them everything they want to hear and they're all going to think they're wonderful, but I want you to tell them the truth. Success. Do we measure that in numbers? Do we measure that in volume? Do we measure that in quantity, quality? Nowhere in the Bible has anybody ever been called to go and fill an auditorium. Nowhere in any of Paul's epistles will you read, congratulations, you've hit the 200 mark. 
Nowhere does Paul say, by the way, I went to Corinth and we had 50 converts in one. Nowhere. But we do read about men and women of God who said, this is what God's called me to do. And wherever the chips fall, Ezekiel prophesies for just over 20 years. God uses him mightily and powerfully. In fact, it is the message and the messages of Ezekiel that bring the greatest hope to Israel. Hope that, yes, you're in exile. Yes, it looks like you've lost everything. Yes, it looks like you'll never come back, but God has a plan to restore and to bring back. And and Ezekiel is the one that offers real hope. And so, as I finish today... I have a couple of questions for everybody in the room. Question number one, are you sitting by the canal frustrated and disappointed with God? Have you reached a point, just like Ezekiel, when you had your life mapped out as a priest, but God called you maybe to something different? Next question. Are you in a place where you can see God? Do you know we can read volumes of books? We can watch hundreds of sermons. You know, one word from God that he drops in our hearts is like, it's like nitrous oxide for the mechanics in the room. It's like nitrous oxide for your... It just... Are you in that place where God can speak into your life? Have you found your place at the feet of Christ? And lastly, does success for you look like staying true to God's call? No matter what that looks like. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that I pray that your words would have the same effect that they did with Ezekiel. That as you speak into our hearts and lives, Holy Spirit, we would invite you into our heart. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need your power. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts, that we would see Christ in more and more glory. Help us to know more of Christ. May we each say the same as the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, I count all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I pray today, Father, that your spirit would help us to see where you have called us and to keep us strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today, and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.